You're listening to the podcast Bible Companion series by author P.H. Thompson. This is a chronological Bible study going chapter by chapter, discovering Christ in all of Scripture. This is Genesis chapter 23, verses 1 and 2, the death of Sarah. Scripture doesn't record everything about someone's life, just the key events. After the climactic episode when Abraham almost sacrificed Isaac on an altar, time has passed. Abraham is now 137. Sarah lives to the age of 127, not unheard of for the generations after the flood, although the longevity is beginning to decrease. She is the only woman in scripture whose age is recorded, probably because of her importance. Also, this tells us that Isaac is now 37, since she was 90 when he was born, so they had a good long time together. She died in Kirjath Arba, later called Hebron after the Hebrews, in the land of Canaan. For whatever reason, Abraham wasn't home when she died, so we're told he went to mourn for Sarah and to weep over her. And this tells us that in spite of our comfort in knowing they are safe in heaven, we can still mourn the loss of loved ones and remember their lives. This seemingly normal event could have been another test of Abraham's faith. People were normally buried in their ancestral home, and this would mean returning to Ur of the Chaldeans. But instead, Abraham begins the establishment of Canaan as the home of his people. So this purchase would bind his descendants to the land. Verses 3 to 20, first purchase of property in Canaan. The rest of this chapter records a real estate transaction. And we might wonder why Moses thought it was important to include in scripture. But as we consider it was the one and only purchase of property in Canaan by Abraham, its significance is understood. After years of nomadic life, the only property is burial ground, which reminds us that our lives are short and we should always be aware of our mortality. The longest life will eventually end. Unless the Lord returns to our in our lifetimes, we will also be laid in the ground. I heard of someone who purchased a headstone for his grave and had it outside the door of his house. He had it engraved with everything but the date of his death, and he left it there to remind himself of his mortality every time he passed by, so he'd live well. A bit extreme, but realistic, unlike most people who will not even talk about their deaths as if that will keep it from coming. The only other real estate transactions recorded in scripture are Jacob's purchase of a parcel of land to pitch his tent in Shechem after he reconciled with Esau, Jeremiah's God-ordered purchase of property in Israel right before the exile to give the people hope that they'd be returning one day, and the purchase of the potter's field by the religious leaders in Jesus' day with the money Judas returned after he had betrayed Jesus. They rightly saw it as blood money and wouldn't use it in the temple. King Ahab seized the property of Naboth, so that was not a purchase. The details of the haggling, exchange of currency, the current market value, and witnesses are recorded to show it was purchased legally according to the customs of the time. The cave in this field becomes the burial place for Sarah, then Abraham, then Isaac, Rebekah, Leah, and Jacob. Rachel died in childbirth as they were en route from Bethlehem to Hebron, so she was buried in Bethlehem.
otherwise it was the family burial cave of the patriarchs. The Hittites could never protest their use of the land. The rest of the sons of Israel died in Egypt. Only Joseph's bones made it back to Canaan with the Exodus generation, and they were buried in Shechem on the parcel of land his father had purchased. Abraham had been promised the whole land of Canaan by God, and he could have bypassed this purchase, but he showed faith in God. Abraham approaches the Hittites who were living in Canaan. Elsewhere they are called the sons of Heth, who were descendants of Canaan. He says, I am a foreigner and stranger among you. Sell me some property for a burial site here so I can bury my dead. They begin the bartering process, which was expected. They reply that because he is a mighty prince among them, he can bury his dead in the choicest of their tombs for free. No one would refuse him. They recognized Abraham's rank and reputation. Another reason for their willingness to give the land is because then Abraham would be liable to pay all taxes and duties. Abraham deals with them respectfully and politely, with neither flattery nor approval of their sins. He bows down before them. He asks for a particular property he has had his eye on. It belongs to a man named Ephron, the son of Zohar. It is the cave of Machpelah on the end of his field. He wanted to purchase it for the full market price which he was able to afford. He doesn't take advantage of their kindness to benefit himself. Neither did he want to be beholden to Ephron as he had earlier refused the gift of the king of Sodom. Ephron overhears this transaction done at the city gates where business was conducted in ancient times. He says Abraham can have it. He publicly gifts it to Abraham among witnesses. Abraham again bows down and insists he will pay for the field and asks Ephron to accept payment from him. Then Ephron overcomes his reluctance and mentions the price aloud. Listen to me, my lord. The land is worth 400 shekels of silver. But what is that between you and me? Bury your dead. Abraham understands Ephron has finally agreed to sell it and has named his price. It was likely an inflated price, and Ephron would have expected Abraham to haggle over it. But instead, he agrees to the terms and measures out 400 shekels of silver, according to the currency of the merchants. He pays immediately, and he pays in full. Precious metals were not in coin form yet, but silver was weighed out. A shekel was less than half an ounce. So Ephron's field in Machpelah near Mamre, both the field and the cave in it, and all the trees within the borders of the field, was deeded to Abraham as his property in the presence of all the Hittites who had come to the gate of the city. This land officially passed to Abraham, and this was still binding at the time of Jacob. The whole land was already Abraham's by promise, but the time to take possession had not yet arrived. So he only purchased what he had need of. Once the purchase was official, Abraham buried his wife Sarah in Hebron. If you notice in scripture, every time it is mentioned that someone dies, it also records that they were buried. The idea of burial is a concept that believers have embraced since the beginning of time, and the basis of it is found in God's words to Adam, By the sweat of your brow you will eat your food until you return to the ground 
since from it you were taken, for dust you are, and to dust you will return. It is rooted also in the hope of the resurrection of these same bodies. Even ancient Job understood this concept. I know that my Redeemer lives, and that in the end he will stand on the earth, and after my skin has been destroyed, yet in my flesh I will see God. I myself will see him with my own eyes, I and not another, how my heart yearns within me. Jesus spoke of that day. Do not be amazed at this, for a time is coming when all who are in their graves will hear his voice and come out. Those who have done what is good will rise to life. Those who have done what is evil will rise to be condemned. The resurrection of Jesus is foretold in the Psalms and quoted in Acts as the reason we hope for the redemption of our bodies. Therefore my heart is glad and my tongue rejoices. My body also will rest in hope, because you will not abandon me to the realm of the dead. You will not let your Holy One see decay. Paul speaks of our desire to have our souls reunited to our bodies after death. Not only so, but we ourselves, who have the first fruits of the Spirit, groan inwardly as we wait eagerly for our adoption to sonship, the redemption of our bodies. For in this hope we are saved. But hope that is seen is no hope at all. Who hopes for what they already have? So does that mean you can't be resurrected if you are cremated rather than buried? Or if your body is in a million pieces from an explosion or eaten by sharks and scattered throughout the ocean? No, because it's not the manner of our deaths or what becomes of our bodies afterwards that determines our resurrection, but the voice of God who calls us out of that state and reassembles us to stand in the judgment. For the example of being eaten by sharks, we're told in Revelation 20:13, which says, The sea gave up the dead that were in it, and death and Hades gave up the dead that were in them, and each person was judged according to what they had done. But burial is still preferred over cremation because of respect for the body. Scarlet threads. So what scarlet threads or hints of Jesus Christ or an application to the gospel do we find in this chapter? The only property Abraham purchased in the promised land was a burial plot because the time to inherit had not yet arrived. We will be buried here, awaiting the day when our bodies will join our souls in the heavenly Canaan. We may not have much on this earth because our treasures are in heaven. Abraham called himself a stranger. The idea of being strangers or pilgrims is repeated many times in, by the patriarchs. We need to recognize that this world is not our home. Abraham was respectful and honest in his dealings with all people. We must be as well. Abraham and Sarah had seen the beginning of the promise of the birth of Isaac, um, but they didn't have possession of the entire land of Canaan, or descendants as numerous as the stars, but they knew that since God had done the impossible by the birth of Isaac, the rest was assured as well. Hebrews 11.13 says, All these people were still living by faith when they died. They did not receive the things promised. They only saw them and welcomed them from a distance, admitting that they were foreigners and strangers on earth. So these promises have now been fulfilled in Christ. 
Abraham's response to, at Sarah's death to mourn her and bury her body demonstrated faith. How we respond to death is a powerful witness to the world. 1 Thessalonians 4, 13 and 14 says, Brothers and sisters, we do not want you to be uninformed about those who sleep in death, so that you do not grieve like the rest of mankind who have no hope. For we believe that Jesus died and rose again, and so we believe that God will bring with Jesus those who have fallen asleep in him. Sarah's sins are not glossed over in scripture. We see her doubt, her harshness, her jealousy, and her lies. Yet she is included in the hall of faith of Hebrews 11. And by faith, even Sarah, who was past childbearing age, was enabled to bear children because she considered him faithful, who had made the promise. Peter commends her as a model of a wife who honored her husband. The love of God covers all our sins. You've been listening to the podcast Bible Companion series by author P.H. Thompson. If you enjoyed this podcast, please subscribe and comment. Continue listening for Genesis chapter 24. May God bless the study of his word.